1: For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
2: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together.
3: Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, something from the cellar. Another mini episode of our midweek drop that sees us revisit some of the brilliant guests we've had on the show over the last four years. Hence, something from the cellar. A little treasure trove brimming with vintage cuts from over 200 guests, all served up in bite-sized portions. And this week, we're here to double our delight as we toast some of the dynamic duos we've had on the show. And first up, it's the legendary... Jane Torval and Christopher Dean. The dynamic duo, more affectionately known as Torval and Dean. Like Bread and Butter, Salt and Pepper, G&T and Anson Deck, these two are forever intertwined. And here they candidly share their experiences of living with an identity that well and truly transcends their own.
4: I mean, we knew each other from the ages of nine and ten and you know we're getting up there now and so the majority of it's our lives 20
3: years right Chris yeah
4: yeah something like that, that that's Jane's stock answer yeah. Yeah, about 20 years yeah um I think we've always identified ourselves as Torval and Dean and Jane and Chris um as our we're such close friends yeah um, I mean we grew up each other all through our, our, our teens,
5: um and you know that's a difficult time for a lot of people and we were—we are were both like only children, so we—we got that sense of looking after each other quite early on. Chris looks after me more than I look after him. But... <laughs> she needs
4: a bit more caring these yes. days. Oh, <laughs> Come on, dear, oh, this way.
5: Yes. <laughs> um, but oh, if only he was closer, you could punch him, down. Yeah, I
3: would. She yeah, I'm,
5: um, But yes, we just—you know—we've had this extraordinary bond in that we both. Had the passion for the skating and the competition. Um, but at the same time, we always looked out for each other as, as brother and sister, if you like. Um, but it's kind of more than that because what we've achieved together is is very special to both of us. The only
3: parallels I can draw would be conversations I've had over the years with Anton Deck, who had a very similar um, route with their friendship. They met at, not at a similar age to you two they are known as one of course they're individuals as are you both but you kind of you have a responsibility to one another that is is unspoken and yet there must be times where certainly after you, you retired from professional skating you step back for a bit you you then have to go and re-identify who you are and then you come back together again and that happens almost on a yearly basis now with dancing on ice how do you do that how do you slide in and out of those different hats that you wear if um, it's easy. I don't think it, <laughs> yeah. yeah,
4: I'm going to say it, it doesn't feel that hard mm. because um, it's, it's and also in what we've done, skating, choreography, physical movement, there is that sort of connection through physicality as well as mentally as well. Mm. And so I think, you know, from a, a work point of view, we know how each other moves. We have a, a, a dialogue that we can speak to each other very quickly and get right back to where we were. I mean, obviously, things might happen in that you know period of time that we're away, but we we talk to each other you know almost every day or every other mm. day. Um, we, we we don't have a disconnect whereby oh, what have you been doing for the last four or five months? Um, it's not that I know what. Jane was doing yesterday you know um that's and an so... extraordinary
5: friendship isn't it it was um funny uh, there was a funny moment i don't know whether it was not this year or maybe it was this year chris had come over for a few days like in the summer and that eve it was mainly we were meeting with the stylist and going through outfits ready for the upcoming dancing on ice and i and chris had arrived maybe a couple of days before but i hadn't actually physically seen him so, I walk into this room, and it, we knew that we were going straight from this uh meeting to have dinner with our producers, so I walked in and because of I'd had to walk a, away, I' got these flat shoes on I had a dress on, but flat shoes that didn't really go with the dress. So I walk into this room, and the first thing Chris does goes and then <laughs> he looks straight Looked at your feet yeah and he said. <laughs> I said hi. I said, "Don't worry, I'm not wearing those tonight," because I knew exactly what you were thinking. Do you remember?
4: There's a, an unspoken dialogue. Yeah, I said, that,
5: oh, "I've got um... other shoes in my bag. Don't worry." <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's,
3: I mean, I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can appreciate how extraordinary a connection and a friendship and a relationship you two have compared to most folk. I guess. I, don't, but, I guess you, you know... don't,
5: because you're in it, and it's what you're. Mm-hmm. We've always been used to, really. Do you not think that there is a a point at which a lot of married couples could learn from you two? Oh, absolutely. Uh, We always say that the reason we've um, been together so long and been such good friends is because we're not married. (laughs) 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 It's much better that way.
4: Yeah. Uh, You know how married couples say don't take an argument to bed? Well, we don't take an argument off the ice. If we have a dispute, we resolve it, and we always leave the ice, you know, Trends we don't really argue that
5: much anymore anyway. But when we used to, no. we used to say, we, we said early on, like, you know, whilst we're arguing, because you do have moments where you disagree with things. Um, and it's usually a technical thing to do with a step or something. Um, but we decided early on, like, whilst we're arguing, our competitors are practicing. So stop arguing. <laughs> Get on with it. See,
3: that's, just, that's a really intelligent workaround to any dispute. And you're right, that, that, that's, that's, I mean, seriously, you should think about relationship counselling, <laughs> like offering it for other people.
4: <laughs> there you go, <laughs> maybe that'll be it.
3: Now get ready for another pairing who've ruled the podcast charts for years now with Off Menu. Yes, it's Ed Gamble and James A. Castor, who I hooked up with in lockdown for some much needed laughs. As part of an unforgettable conversation, we uh, shared some tales of their near brushes with career suicide, It's brilliant. Uh, They put their comedy powers to the test when I asked them to create identities and backstories that they'd adopt where they forced to enter into a witness protection programme. But before all of that, let's hear how they became friends in the first place. When did your friendship begin? Um, Because I need to know the roots of it so that you can answer this next question, which is, you've been asked by each other to be each other's best man.
6: Awkward, because... I did not ask James. Uh,
3: right. That is awkward. Oh, yes. shit. Sorry, Ed. Right, no, it's all right. I want to know, what's the one story that you could tell about each other in your best man speech mm. that would silence the room?
7: Oh. Well, first of all, we met at a gig. Now, we... We did We dispute this. Yeah, no. I, I, I'm willing to agree with Ed here on his, his, his story of things, that we met at a gig in London, but I don't remember meeting Ed the first time
3: huh. you yeah. know to be huh. fair
7: to be fair it was a gig for a promoter that i really wanted to get more gigs from at the time it was my first gig for them and i was just very much focused on my set even though i remember the rest of the lineup i don't remember it <laughs> you do we did another. no if, i don't remember I had
3: that mindset at the palladium james
7: yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah i'd taken things seriously once i started getting on telly but i, I was very very serious about playing the 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 free you much you
6: could be much better friends with Joan now if you'd love <laughs> exactly. knuckle down at that gig. So we yeah, met at gigs,
7: yeah. and then, like, yes, um, I'd say me and Ed probably became friends when him and Nish Kumar decided to force their friendship on me for a joke, yes. But there really? was genuinely, there it was a very good, yeah. Well, just like when we were at the Latitude Festival, they started singing songs at me about being my best friend now, and I didn't really know them very well. And they were just following me around saying that they were my best friends. And I thought, well, I guess this is kind of funny. I'll...
3: Were you on hallucinogenics <laughs> this... at this point, Ed? Or was there a reason for <laughs> No, that? no. It's just,
6: it's really funny to be really friendly to someone when they're not necessarily... Friendly. Like, you're, you've not earned that... Yeah. That you're not spent enough time with them to be like, oh, we're really good friends if you just say we're really good friends and see if it works. And it did. Yeah.
7: Well, they did it for long enough. It wasn't just that one weekend at Latitude. They kept doing it every time I saw them.
6: Oh, yeah. We we ran a new material gig called Best Friends Club, uh, which the premise of which was me and Nish wanted to be friends with James and he wasn't bothered. (laughs) Uh, Although... It, he took it too far in that he never turned up to any of the gigs. Yeah. Really? I kept so on you, getting so other gigs and not doing them.
3: So you just love-bombed him, and it, it literally left him Love cold. Love-bombed, exactly. Right. Yeah.
6: Yes. Yeah, yeah,
7: yeah. Well, there just came a point in my life where, like, I was living with my girlfriend at the time. We broke up. I had to move out the flat. I didn't have anywhere to live. And the only where only people I could think to call were the two people who pretended to be my be my, be my friends for a while. So, <laughs> I guess my actual best friends are the two people
6: who for a laugh have yeah. said that they are.
7: And I think you've, so I think you've just so- found a year bed. that
3: was worse than 2020, right there. <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah, living on our sofa bed for a month wasn't uh, probably wasn't the highlight of the year. No, uh, it was quite nice. But uh, yeah, actually, it was pretty fun. Yeah, it's
7: better for me than the months that had preceded it. To be fair. Yeah. <laughs> 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 living in a flat with someone who hated me, uh, it was quite nice to be with Ed, Ed and Nish.
3: So they they love bombed you into submission. Eventually, the friendship was underpinned by that. And now let's fast forward to your imaginary weddings, your nuptials, and mm-hmm. it's time for the best man's speech. And I want one of those, I want one of those anecdotes that's proper tumbleweed where almost the mother of the bride starts to cry. It's so bad.
6: Oh, okay. Well, I've got a few. Um...
7: <laughs> also on a point, no, out, we, we... Ed's wedding was scheduled for during the pandemic.
6: He had to cancel yes. it. So when he says- No, I didn't, sh- I didn't schedule it. Yeah. For, I didn't say, oh, there's a pandemic, I'll schedule my wedding for the middle of I it. I appreciate that. It was scheduled and the pandemic came came along. Yeah,
7: So it's been... Postponed. He didn't propose and she said, when are we going to get married? He said, during the next yeah. pandemic, whenever there's a pandemic. <laughs> I'd like to schedule it
6: I, pr- I proposed during the Spanish flu of 1917. <laughs> and I said, not this one. Next time there's a <laughs> pandemic. Um, yeah, so it has been postponed. And James was not, to be fair, not the best for man. For that one. But a, groom, a groomsman. Well, yes. That one, be that
7: one. But, but there's still time for you to change your mind here. There's another wedding yeah, in the future. Yeah, you can future. pull it back, so I could you still can pull be best it back.
3: Who is your best man, yeah. Ed? Mishkooman. Um, James, that's got to hurt.
7: Yeah, he I mean, you, you, totally you, you,
3: surpassed.
7: You got to think that at one point I, I was at least on the short list, and there was like a I was an, sure. I was a name on a pad. I was somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also.
6: I, I managed to negotiate myself another job on the day, didn't I? That I suggested. That- oh, oh, James is going to announce the cake. Yes. He's going to say what all the different flavors of the cake are. Yeah. Okay. I mean,
7: I, because he loves bread. I negotiated myself that. I said, please, can you let me announce the cake and talk everyone through? And
3: then what he's going to
7: be five here? minutes yeah. on
6: squash. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Try to slag off all the old ladies in the room. Yeah, I'd be, I mean, that would actually silence the room. Uh, we went on holiday together to New York. I don't think it silence the room, but one night James got so drunk he started giving pep talks to people people in the bar he went into the toilet stood on the toilet and hung over the toilet door giving random strangers a pep talk while they were trying to weigh in the weigh in the urinal Thank God uh, you're God. right mate do a pep
3: talk, yeah, God was a only a
6: talk. um also yeah
7: only saying to them do you want a pep talk as well do you want a pep talk? <laughs> That was very much what i was giving out i wasn't just like trying to motivate people i was consciously giving pep talks
6: i actually kind of think it's that's quite a light-hearted whimsical thing to do so it wouldn't necessarily cause silence in the room mm-hmm. Um, He got drunk and put a slug on a pizza the other day. Oh, wow.
3: That was recent.
7: That, that made the room quiet, to be fair.
6: Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Who ate it? No one
7: ate it. I mean, the pizza was cold. We were outside doing a socially distanced uh, little meetup. Loads of people hadn't seen each other in ages. And there was a slug behind me on the floor. And someone said, Oh, I think that slug feels a bit left out. And then, just so then, I instantly, without thinking about it, picked up the slug and put it on the pizza
6: and uh, I thought no one liked it I maintain if I did that in a best man speech it would be silence in the room yeah
3: Last but certainly not least, we have classical superstars Michael Ball and Alfie Bowe. Together, they've pulled years of solo success to become one of the UK's biggest selling music acts. And with all that experience comes a whole host of showbiz anecdotes collected nicely along the way. So here they are with some of their finest.
0: My favourite was um, my final, um, final matinee on Phantom of the Opera. And uh, it helps if you know the show or have seen the show or remember a bit about the show. I was playing Raoul and traditionally the final matinee is where you play tricks on people. Oh, yeah. So, for example, the lady playing Carlotta is in an opera scene and they put a ring on one finger and a ring on the other. And then I put cheese wire between. (laughs) (laughs) So she's like and then she's literally stuck like that. Came out of the lair for the final scene, and I've got a rip down the arm with Raoul for Christine forever. And I'd arranged for the very final moment, for as the boat goes across in the background with me and Christine, to have a big old false hairy chest, a great big medallion, and a cornetto in my hand. And all I've got to do is is sing, say the word, I will follow you. What I didn't know is a girl playing Christine swapped places with the other, with the alternate. And I looked down and I saw them in, and all I could see was the back. I could hear the voice, but the voice wasn't coming (laughs) from the actress. And I looked down and it was someone with, I don't know who they were trying to do an impression of, but they had the blackest eyeliner and the biggest false eyelashes, buck teeth, a little mustache, and a little bit of an And I turned around with a dripping Cornetto in my hand to hand it over, which I did. Mm-hmm. And I was laughing so much, all I could come out with <laughs> was, hey, the for you. <laughs> And they came back, and they went. You could tell it was your last day. And I went, "Oh no!"
8: Was it bad? They went, "The emotion in that last scene." Oh, <laughs> style you. it out,
3: style it out. No, what no, about no, you,
8: no. Al? Oh my goodness, Christmas stories. Um, this is, I mean, not anything to do with the business at all. But I come from a large family. I've got like five sisters and three brothers. And one Christmas, um, my dad had been had spent like the few months prior to christmas making this batch of of wine but he was doing like he, he did his home brew he, he was the hobby of his to make wine make beer that sort of thing He made this parsnip wine, so like,
3: a, like a moonshine yeah, yeah? like a yeah. moonshine so, is that I mean, what they call it
8: yeah and and so it was in the these uh what they call demijohns, uh, the the where the the alcohol is trying to cipher down or it's trying to lower the alcohol content a little bit but christmas day arrived and there was this brew still in the demijohns ready to you know, ciphering and everything. And all the guys, all the lads, decided to go to the pub for a beer. And my mother was cooking Christmas dinner with all us all my sisters, and saying, I, "I can't stand this." So the the, the fellas can just clear off to the pub and leave us to do this to to, to do this Christmas dinner on our own. They said, "Right, to so open that wine. Let's get let's get some glasses out. Let's open the wine." But she, they started drinking like thirty percent proof alcohol you know <laughs> in like wine glasses thinking like it was just regular 12% wine so we came back to this smoke coming out of the kitchen window <laughs> laughter music going oh. like crazy around the house and my mother and my sister's rolling around on the kitchen floor fire coming out of the oven the turkey was burned <laughs> everything was it's like this. totally smashed but it was one of the best christmases we ever had
3: <laughs> you know? that's brilliant
8: exactly yeah <laughs> so that was that was that was really one of the best the best uh, moments at home for me you know but like michael you know leading up to christmas um in productions and things there's all sorts of jokes that get played on you and it's it's terrible and trying to trying to keep a straight face. When I was playing at the Royal Opera House, um, somebody bet me uh, £100 if I would walk across the stage in this scene um, as John Wayne. So do a John Wayne walk right across the front, the Royal Opera House stage in the middle of a production with George Shulte conducting. And it was like 100 quid. yeah, I'll do it. And so I did it, I did it, and somebody said, "Were you all right in that scene? Did you hurt yourself? Because you were walking with a bit of a limp, and it said, that was my John Wayne impression, and that was another Christmas story.
3: Thanks so much for joining me for something from the seller, Double Axe. Sometimes it just goes to show, doesn't it, that two heads really are better than one. I really hope you're enjoying these weekly visits to The Cellar as much as I am, and I'll be back on Friday with a brand new guest for you. In the meantime, you can listen to all of these episodes in full by scrolling through our back catalogue or simply search for the guests using their name in the search bar. This week, we featured Torvaldine, Dean, James Acaster and Ed Gamble, and Michael Ball and Alfie Bow. Until next week, have a good one.